Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get the Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the Get to Vet podcast. I am Trevor Maxwell. And I'm Mike Riggs. And with us today, uh, we have a special guest, the ever so handsome uh, John McCaskill. Uh, you guys may have seen him from some other people's fakey harmony and match.com <laughs> profiles, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, John is a awesome guy. I met him a couple years ago through elite meet and he and I have chatted a lot back and forth. Uh, he's been a great source of information for me, even after I retired and he was still active duty. I learned a lot about DOD skill bridge from him. And the big thing that we, we brought him on to the show for today um, which is mindfulness. And so I'm going to let John go ahead and introduce himself and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get talking. Hey, Trevor, Mike, great to be here with you today. I, I appreciate it. And I love where you guys are heading with this show. And uh, I think it's a, it's just a genius vision. So I'm, uh, I'm honored to be here to potentially help with it. I don't know. We'll see whether this show is worth, worth a darn for your listeners or viewers, but yeah. So a little bit about me, um, just retired from the Navy. Here we are in December of 2020. Can't be can't be done with 2020 soon enough. But moving on to 2021 soon. Uh, I retired in August of this year from the Navy after 24 years, uh, 17 of which was spent in the SEAL teams, and uh, had in my time had a great time. Really enjoyed working beside some of the most amazing men and women this country has to offer, and uh, and I, I count that as an honor and a privilege but I also had some highs and lows and some of those lows were, they were pretty low. And I battled with some stress and anxiety and depression because of them. And eventually got introduced to mindfulness and meditation, like you mentioned there. And now that's what I do in, in the outside world, uh, in, the, in the afterlife, after the military or my encore, encore career, whatever you want to call it. Uh, work in the nonprofit space, teaching mindfulness and meditation to veterans for uh, an organization called Veterans Path. And, uh, and then I also have a, a side gig where I teach mindfulness and meditation to corporate teams to improve their performance and reduce their absenteeism uh, from their crew. And ultimately where the reason I do that is I get, I get enjoyment out of introducing people to these skills because sure, it improves their performance and it improves the bottom line for the C-suite. But really what I care about is having happier and healthier people in a workplace because if, if they can be happier and healthier in the workplace, then they're happier and healthier at home and ultimately just leads to just better people all around. So that's a little bit why I do that as a, as a side gig, plus a, a little extra money helps. <laughs> but yeah, man, the, the transition space, uh, I'm very excited to talk about it. It's a passion of mine after going through it and learning about it and seeing the anxieties that come with going through it. Um, definitely want to share some of the lessons learned uh, and help people prevent prevent people from reinventing the wheel for themselves. So over to you for whatever questions you have, or I can just talk the whole time, man. No, yeah, I, 
I, I did have a couple, but um, no, I think that's cool. And I just wanted to hit on something that you talk about there. Like I, like you, I, I work with a lot of transitioning service members, you know, I'm doing coaching at the honor foundation, which I know you were a part of. And that's just kind of a theme that I've noticed is like the, the vets who go out there and they're, they're not, you know, trying to work themselves to death to make some extra money. The ones that, that chase happiness and, and purpose over, profit they seem to be you know just a little bit better off you know even yeah you may not be making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year but you're probably a lot happier than somebody that is yeah no absolutely and that was one of the great things about going through a program like the honor foundation or or commit foundation they do something similar so the honor foundation does the simon Sinek's find your why and, and commit foundation does pursue your purpose uh, but both of them uh, very similar in, in identifying truly what it is you want to do once you hang up that uniform. You, as a military member, identify a lot with that uniform and, and you really feel like that uniform is a part of you. I had somebody uh, use a great analogy with me the other day. They said, have you ever heard anybody call a Ferrari a radio? And I was like, what? No, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he's like, well, if, if the definition of a radio is a mechanical device that can receive a signal and then put it out on speakers, then a Ferrari is a radio. But you will never think about a Ferrari as a radio because you don't identify a Ferrari as a radio because there's so much more to it. A radio is a part of it. A radio is a part of the Ferrari. Well, a military, the military is just a part of who you are. It's not who you are. It doesn't fully define who you are. It's just a small piece of it. And there's so much more to who you are as a transitioning service member or as a veteran that a lot of us don't even know about. So when you do these uncomfortable programs, I mean, they're amazing programs, but they're uncomfortable when you have to do the pursue your purpose or the find your why in the honor foundation. But when you do those, then you can kind of peel back the onion and see what else there is to you. And that identifies what it is you may want to do in the afterlife. So many of us, again, like we said, identify with that uniform, or identify ourselves as that military member. And maybe when we get out, <clears throat> we push the easy button and we want to do something exactly the same out of uniform that we did in uniform. And if that's what you want to do, that's great. But don't do that because that's the easy course. Don't push that easy button and say, hey, I, I just want to do something easy. I don't want to put in the work to identify what it is that I truly want to do or that I truly, I don't want to identify my purpose. Once you do identify your purpose and you go through that work, then it makes the after side of transition that much more enjoyable. And you really, when you wake up in the morning, you are going and doing something that you are passionate about and you're either serving or you're, you know, working in a, in a space with people that you want to work with, or you're working in the location that you want to work you identify those key aspects to the career that's going to really make you happy and, uh, and feel for, have a feeling of fulfillment. That's awesome. Yeah. And I know, well, Mike, you, you're, you just went through the commit foundation, right? Yep. I'm just finishing it up one more coaching session and then I'm slated to go to start the honor foundation in the end of uh, January. So can't wait. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And I know he and I, I think, you know, over the last couple of years, because Mike lives right down the street from me. So yeah, I've, I've shared all this stuff with him already. And, and you know, so um, 
but that's that's very true like i i knew that for me when i was getting out i was like hey you know i think in order for me to be happy and i have to stay hungry i can't uh get out and uh, you know i talk about that a lot i'm like hey i passed up a lot of you know six figure salaries to come do this and i you know it's the the money's nice i guess if that's what you value the most but i i didn't and I think that's been a lot better for me. And one of the troubles though that I've had is, is, you know, me taking on this new role, you know, when I was active uh, as an EOD tech and, and, you know, cause EOD and the SEAL teams work really close together. You have this very intense sense of purpose and you know, like, Hey, here's, here's what I'm working for. And you get out, especially for those of us that kind of go into the entrepreneurship type stuff, you, your head gets clouded really quick, right? Especially if you have a lot of different things going on. I have four different businesses. Uh, you know, if you include this podcast that I'm, that I'm trying to build and, and I think this is a good segue into something that's helped me, uh, start, start taking advantage of that, which is, uh, you know, the program that I tried out through your organization, um, you know, which focuses on mindfulness. So could you maybe talk a little bit about what mindfulness is? Sure. So yeah, the program that you went through is uh, Military uh, Mindfulness Action Practices, the MMAP uh, that you went through uh, on, on the platform eMindful. And basically <clears throat> um, what that is for is specifically for either transitioning service members or veterans teaching them mindfulness. So to answer your question, what mindfulness is, is it's just being focused on the here and the now and just kind of settling the mind tuning out all the noise and focusing on what's important, the here and now. The only thing that is real is the present, the present moment. The past is past and you can't do anything about it. The future is coming, but you can't see it. It's not, it's not here, right here, right now. So the only thing that is real is the present moment. And that's what mindfulness is, is it's allowing you to focus on that present moment, enjoy that present moment, truly experience that present moment. And then you can really enjoy uh, life in a better way. It's kind of like uh, that that old saying, you know, stop and smell the roses. Well, there's there's truth to that. Like if you're continually running, 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 thinking about your to do list, your huge task list, your bills that you got to pay, you got to go pick up your kids here, this, this, this. Sure, those are all things you need to think about. At some point, process them, pay the bills, get your tasks done. But you don't need to be thinking about them all the time. Because when you do, you miss out on so much. You miss out on those roses. You miss out on the time with your kids. I mean, there was there was a time where I hadn't learned truly how to practice mindfulness yet. And the time that I was with my kids, I was on my phone, like scrolling and like checking Facebook or social media, or whatever, or checking my to-do list or answering emails. And before I knew it, the day was over and I wasn't, I hadn't even enjoyed my time with my kids. Or at work, you know, I was uh, continually thinking about my task list the next day, and I wasn't thinking about the to-do right here, right now in front of me, that one task, focused on that one task. And by the end of the day, I had done a whole lot of parts to a whole bunch of tasks, but never actually done anything of any consequence. And once I learned mindfulness and meditation, I was able to stay focused on one task, get done with that, then move on to the next task. And uh, that's where it helps with, with work. 
And then, uh, and then the meditation piece that's, you hear mindfulness and meditation used synonymously a lot, and they're not actually the same thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap between the two, but they're not the same. And mindfulness, like I mentioned, is just being pro focused on the here and now, but meditation is where you set aside some time to actually practice where you're very intentional about sitting, sitting down, laying down, standing, whatever, however you want to practice, but you set aside that time going back to mindfulness, you can have a conversation mindfully, like you and I, we're talking right here, right now. And I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay attention to your question before I start formulating a response, right? I want to, I want to actually hear what it is you're asking. And that's one thing that we do all too often, especially as men, when we're in a conversation, we'll listen to the other part of the conversation and about halfway through their question or comment, we start formulating a response. And we don't really listen to what the other person is saying. So we're not being mindfully present in the conversation. Sometimes we'll eat and we'll scarf down a, a meal and we won't even pay attention to what it is we've eaten. And at the end of the day, somebody's like, hey, did you have lunch? And you're like, wait a minute, did I have lunch? And, and if I did, what was it? And, and then if you can remember, can you even remember how it tasted? Hey, was it good or not? If you sit down for a meal, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, and you do nothing else, you put your phone away and you pay attention to that meal in front of you, that can help to settle your mind as well. So you're just mindfully eating. So that's where the difference between mindfulness and meditation is. You can do a lot of things mindfully, but meditating, you actually have to set aside the time to do it and be very intentional about it and very focused on that very task. So that's a, that's a little bit about mindfulness. That's a little bit about meditation and then the difference between the two. Yeah, I think probably one of my favorite sayings about that is like, listen to understand, not to respond. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And somebody, uh, somebody else told me that to to truly have a conversation with someone, you basically just have to lose yourself and focused, focus one hundred percent on the other person. It's as though you're not even there. And then when they're finished, allow for a pause, and then process, and then respond. And sure, it can seem a little awkward, but your, your, your responses are going to be that much more heartfelt and that much more uh, mindful and poignant. So, yeah, I know. Well, Mike can attest to this. When I was a, you know, a, a young cocky new guy, I was, <laughs> I would just like fly off and, you know, say the first thing that came to my mind. And, uh, you know, for me personally, I was like, okay, that's something I need to work on. And, and it didn't matter who it was either. I was his first chief and uh, I, I got to witness it all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there myself. So man, like being that, being the new guy, Hey, you, you want to make an impression. Uh, and before you know it, you've, you've made an impression. It just may not be a good one. So. Yeah. I, I think mine was the, um, during a pre-mission brief when I, I had thrown a phrase out there that I had coined kind of as a joke during the workup where I said, Hey, Sometimes gangsters got to bang hammers and uh, <laughs> it's funny because like years later, I saw a new guy from one of my buddies platoons that had a shirt on that said that. And <laughs> nice. <laughs> Your like, legacy, man. Yeah. Your well, legacy. I made, I made my mark, but uh, yeah. you know, when I look back on that, yeah, I, I think about some of the, the dumb things that I did and I'm like, well, you know, if I hadn't done them, then I wouldn't have the perspectives that I have now. So yeah. So uh, go ahead, Mike. I'd really like to bring up some of the importance of the work that you're doing because it's it really 
rings kind of personal to me because when I kind of tell a little bit of my story with going into EOD in 2002 and then my first real shore duty was 2016 when I took over as a CMC of EOD school. Now, granted, you know, as a CMC of mobile unit six, I wasn't operational, but still in my mind, I'm still fighting the same fight that my, my men and women are doing. So as, as they're deploying to Afghanistan and as they're preparing to fight, to potentially go over and fight ISIS and things like that, I'm still playing that chess game in my head. So it, that never stopped. And then when I transferred in 2016 to go down to Eglin Air Force Base to turn over in, in March, I didn't go down with my family and I stayed in my dad's uh, motorhome. And EOD schools is just, uh, we just, we, we make EOD students and, and we, we create EOD warriors and it's, it's a factory, you know, and there's a wizard and he's behind the curtain and he, and he's, he, he's doing levers and he's pushing buttons. And, and I was part of that machine that, that did that. And it was a set time frame throughout Monday through Friday that that happened. And it wasn't, what I'm saying is, is it wasn't very dynamic and it was somewhat, uh, it was like going hundred miles an hour for almost 14 years in my mind. And then all of a sudden going 25 miles an hour in a school zone. And there was, there's, or, or being at a Metallica concert and about, you know, the first or second row and then all of a sudden the power goes out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and eventually I was fortunate enough to, convince and i also had a mentor of mine who was going through the intrepid spirit program at camp lejeune which if folks don't know it's very similar to the nico program that happens at walter reed that a lot of us are fortunate enough to go to it's for traumatic brain injuries and things like that but he was there and he got me a spot and i got to go through and it's a five-week intensive outpatient. I think I believe, I believe I said that right. And we get to stay in the Fisher house, which is a great organization. Uh, it lowers the cost for all of us to get to go through. So we get to send a, a whole lot more people up there, um, which going through that program to, for, for folks to get to go through either NICO or Intrepid Spirit or any program like that to be afforded five weeks or four weeks or whatever, any amount of time to be away from your family and to work on yourself is an amazing opportunity and not one's afforded that opportunity. And I, I have my mask on the other side of my computer monitor. I would, I would put Picasso to shame, but I'm not going <laughs> to do that. But I will say I was extremely skeptical and I tried not to be, but I was extremely skeptical of going to art therapy. And the first time I went in, we had to paint a tree. And we had to talk about our tree and I thought, Oh, this isn't for me. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we went in the next time and I got to start to paint my mask and I was lost in painting that freaking mask. I absolutely loved it. And it, the, the, the meditation we got to do and the yoga stuff that we got to do. Uh, and, and I went back and told my staff about going to go pet horses and that the horse therapy and they always made fun of me for it after I told them about it. But I thought that was, uh, a, a, an exercise in communication 
that was that really drove a lot of the points home on things I was doing wrong that I needed to work on. Um, but look, where I'm going with a lot of this is, so I went back to Eglin and you would think that Eglin being a hub of seven special forces group, you have a lot of air force special operations down there and you have EOD school. You would have thought that there would be a great handoff when I got back down there. So those things like mindfulness and meditation and art therapy, potentially music therapy and things like that, we could have had a continuation, but it wasn't, the resources weren't there and the folks, I guess the, the, those therapies weren't available. And it was very frustrating for me that that dropped off and to the point where I was looking for a community college to go take an art class for my own therapy. And Northwest Florida, there, there's you can take auto body class and welding, which may have been a good therapy. I never thought about it, but I was really narrow focused on doing art because that's what I knew up there and I knew it worked. Um, but it's really great that you guys are doing this type of stuff because I think that handoff is so necessary because we're not quite there within the military medical system. We're still primarily focused on the Western type of medicine. And it's great to see that you guys are in the forefront and, and doing this handoff because I think speaking from my personal experience, you can get very frustrated if, if that handoff isn't there and, and then folks can just go back down that downward spiral, which I did somewhat and and trying to seek that, that help. And, but if you guys are right there, I know y'all have like 10th, I think 10th group out there where you're at in that area and, and a lot of other folks, you know, but just having that where you can walk right out the gate and, and have folks like you there for that solid handoff. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, there's, I'm, I'm definitely in enemy territory out here in, in Colorado Springs. I've got, I've got the Air Force Academy and I'm an Annapolis grad. So that's Ooh. one hit against me. And then the other hit against me is I'm a SEAL out here close to Fort Carson with with a lot of my special forces brothers. Uh, obviously, they're joking. Uh, I've got a lot of love for my Air Force brothers and sisters and my special forces brothers. Uh, work with them all in the past. So, but yeah, here out in Colorado Springs, we definitely we work to bring. A, Again, this mindfulness and movement, or sorry, mindfulness and meditation. I, <laughs> I accidentally read my shirt as I as I sat up, but uh, the mindfulness and meditation to uh, the, the the crew out here. We actually work out of the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center here in Colorado Springs. So the the head of that the, the service center here is a former 10th Group guy, the former Garrison Commander of of uh, Fort Carson. So we're we're working to strengthen our ties with transitioning service members from Fort Carson, from Peterson Air Force Base, and then also tie into the, the Air Force Academy out here. But that's all local. And then what, what Trevor mentioned before, we've got some of the, the online stuff so that we can bring what we do via scale to many more people all over the country, really all over the globe. We had some folks in Japan. I mean, they're, they're US military, but folks in Japan, folks in the other parts of the country, parts of the world rather that are doing this um but yeah you mentioned some great points there too mike in being skeptical about the art therapy right you go in and you paint your tree and you're like okay what am i doing here and then you eventually work your way to where you're focused on nothing else but focus on painting that mask 
And that's what it is. It's the focus. That's the mindfulness piece, right? Yeah, there's definitely beauty in the art, right? But there's also that focus. So you transfer that to welding. If you're if you are welding, that could be something that you're very focused on. My wife calls her woodworking art therapy because that's it is art. It truly is. But she's also very focused on every little aspect of it, and and that's her way of of being mindful. The, the equine therapy that you mentioned, <laughs> the, the horses, man, they, they are so intuitive. They, they will pick up uh, on, on things that you have going on that you didn't even know you had going on. So uh, I'm a huge fan of equine therapy. We actually partnered with a, an organization out there in Virginia Beach called Trails of Purpose and, uh, and some other equine therapy groups. Um, but yeah, the being skeptical about all these different modalities, I was. I mean, your type A personality, type A male in the military, um, where, where we kind of pride ourselves on being warriors and, and beat our chest for how much weight we can lift or how fast we can run or how fast we can swim. But nobody asks you, hey, ha- have you taken some downtime for your mind recently? Have you reset? Hey, I, you're going to get a pat on the back if you go to the gym. You're going to get a pat on the back if you go run or ruck. But if you take some downtime to, to get some mental health support or to meditate, people think, hey, that guy's a little weird and off his rocker, practicing some snake oil. Um, but if you really dig back even further into history, some of our most ancient and just incredible warriors practiced some form of meditation or mindfulness, the samurais, the Spartans. They didn't want to go into combat all jazzed up. Like a lot of us get jazzed up right prior to getting onto a sports field, right? Well, some of us think that that same mentality is what you want to carry onto the battlefield. Well, really what you want is a level of calm so that you're level-headed. You can take in the situation. I mean, we talk about mindfulness being present. Mindfulness is nothing more than really acute situational awareness. And what do we want when we're on the battlefield? Really acute situational awareness. We want to be able to know where all our people are. We want to be able to get on the horn and call air, you know, air support. And we need to know where all the enemy and our people are when we're calling in air support. So that's, I mean, that's mindfulness. So you want to be able to practice it in a setting where you're not stressed out so that when you're on the battlefield, you can basically employ it uh, without, without really thinking too much about it. So yeah, I've definitely been on that skeptical side before, but now I'm, uh, I'm sold hundred percent. I truly attribute mindfulness and meditation to, to not only improving my life, but quite honestly, saving my life. And, uh, and I think that if we had many more service members and veterans practicing, they would be better in life and they would enjoy it more. And quite honestly, and not to be a, uh, kind of a Debbie Downer, but I think we would honestly have some of our, our service members and veterans still with us that may not be with us because they, they lost a, a battle to, to suicide. Um, so uh, I'm very passionate, passionate about these because I think that they are life-saving skills. So yeah, the other that's... thing that they, they brought out during that study too at Intrepid Spirit was the heart rate variability. And I think yeah. that's key too, that especially folks in our line of work and first responders, law enforcement officers in particular, uh, we don't know the damage that we're doing to ourselves by years of constantly being alert and doing the jobs that we've been doing. And I 
I took that test in 2018 and my last deployment to a combat zone was in 2013. I returned and I remember that I remember she asked me how I thought I would score. And I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm good to go. There's no way I am hypervigilant. No way. I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. as the other side of the pillow. No way. <laughs> and she, it's like a four or five minute test. You sit there and it just, they just run the test. And she's like, Oh, you're, you're like, middle scale hypervigilant. And I said, if you'd have given me that test in 2013 or God forbid, you know, 2008, I would have been in the negative. I mean, I would have blown that thing off the charts. I, I'm not nearly as hypervigilant as I am, as I was back then. So sure. just imagine, you know, trying to get that stuff under control through the mindfulness, I think is key as well. And a real key to longevity for folks like us and the first responders. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So what, what, um, some of the resources available, I know your organization veterans path does a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I think a, a lot of the, you know, the, the higher tiered, uh, special operations units and stuff like that are starting, you know, they see the value of those types of programs. Navy EOD is doing it. The army, uh, use SOC has their Thor program, uh, and it's, I don't, is there still called H HPI NSWs? HPP, the human yep. performance yep. program. Yep. And, you know, so I think a lot of those, those types of units are seeing the benefits of stuff like that and incorporating it, but you know, that's, that's just for those units and that's a very small percentage of the military. So what, you know, where can somebody who's, who's not part of one of those units go to, to, you know, kind of learn more about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'd be remiss if I didn't put a plug in for the organization that I work for Veterans Path. So you can find Veterans Path at veteranspath.org. And uh, we've got some great resources available on there. If you're not able to make one of our programs, actually go participate in one of our online or in-person programs. The in-person ones have kind of gone away in 2020. We're going to get those back up and running in 2021. But if you're not able to even do one of the live online classes like, like Trevor did, then you can watch some of the recordings that we have on there. We have a how to meditate series on the resources page, again, on veteranspath.org. Uh, we also have some veteran led uh, mindfulness and meditation series on there. Um, and then we have a, we're, we're on social media and then we have a podcast uh, also named veterans path. And I'm the host on that where we bring both people who have gone through our programs or people who have uh taught mindfulness and meditation or yoga or some type of modality we've had equine therapy experts come on to talk about you know how the horses can help we've had uh artists come in and talk about how art therapy can help because i i truly believe that mindfulness and meditation can help everyone but they won't necessarily help everyone all the way through um i'm i i believe they did for me but combining mindfulness and meditation with some other modalities. So movements, adding some movement in with yoga, adding some other alternative therapies by doing some paint, paint or art therapy, rather um, equine therapy, um, anything really that you feel is going to help you mentally try it out. Um, so uh, that's a little bit about veterans path. Again, we're on the different social medias and we we do have the podcast um, but then there's our, there are other programs that are out there. You just have to look. And that's another thing that I want to comment on, if, you, if I got a second, is, is in the transition space. You know, you have to work. 
it's it's on you to make your transition work for you. You're not going to have it all handed to you on a silver platter. There are awesome organizations that will work with you, but you have to find them. And then when they tell you, hey, we want you to go through this pursue your purpose or through find your why or hey, we need you to talk to these mentors or whatever, whatever they recommend. They're giving you advice to help you. But if you're not willing to put in the work, you're not going to get anything out of it. And that's that's one piece of advice that I want to make sure I put out there. It's not necessarily mindfulness or meditation related, but in the transition space, do the work. Do the yeah. work and, you, and you'll reap the benefits. You always reap what you sow, right? So yep. if you put in the work during that transition phase, you'll, you'll be much happier afterwards. So, and that, you know, for me, that was, I didn't really take advantage of any of those programs. I, I had to do a deployment. I came back, I had four months till I retired and, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, man, I wish I would have done a better job of planning out and taking advantage. Cause that was like, literally, you know, that last three months, that was the most, every, you know, gunfight I've been in or IED I've been on top of, or, you know, a couple of parachute malfunctions. If you put all that stuff together all at once, it still wasn't as stressful as getting out. And, yeah. you know, I wish I had known about something kind of like mindfulness or yeah, I, I didn't do it. I didn't. And, and I'll caveat with that too. Like, yes, you have to work, but you also have to know when you, when you got to ask for help too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's, that's a big one. And I think a lot of people were just too proud or too stubborn or, you know, if you're like me, they just didn't know. And it's, it's kind of like why I'm very passionate about doing this and sharing that information with as many people as possible. Yeah. So what, yeah. what about your transition experience? Can you uh, speak a little bit about that? Yes, I sure can. So um, Matt Stevens, uh, you, you know, Matt, uh, he, he was my commanding officer when I was an executive officer or at least for, he was my commanding officer for a portion of my executive officer tour. And um, I came back from Bahrain where I was his, his XO and then uh, worked for him again when he was Commodore at Naval Special Warfare Group 4. And then he retired and I continued working at, at Group 4 for a while after he retired. And he went out and did whatever it was he was doing. And then, uh, and then I think... He, he found that he was not happy with the way his transition had gone with the work that he had put in and what he had gotten afterwards. So he kind of took it upon himself to start mentoring folks. And luckily I was one of the folks that he mentored and sat, he sat me down for a cup of coffee and it's like, Hey, John, if you're, if you're thinking about getting out here in the next couple of years, you need to start formulating a plan. And uh, I took what Matt said as gospel uh, I still I still take a lot of what Matt says. Don't let him hear this, but uh, I still let him, uh, or I still take a lot of what he says as gospel. And so, hey, I, you know, I started making a plan. Literally that night, I went home after having coffee with Matt. I was like, okay, what do, what do I want to do? And at the time, I was like, I want to be commercial real estate, or I want to be in private equity. So I started talking with people in those different areas, right? Because I wanted to figure out exactly what that meant. But I just knew that there was decent money in some of those. If you did it right, you can make some decent money. And at first, that's what I thought. That's what I want to do. I want to make a ton of money when I get out. And then luckily, I had I started speaking with all these people. And they're like, hey, why don't you try this program out? Why don't you look at going after this credential? And eventually, I got introduced to the Commit Foundation. 
And, uh, and specifically what they recommended was the Pursue Your Purpose program. That was great, but there's a book called Designing Your Life. And I went through the Designing Your Life program that's you know spelled out in the book. And it's, it's some more uncomfortable work that you do. Yeah, I'm sure, yep, I knew it. <laughs> so for those listening who can't see it, Mike's holding up the book. So he's, <laughs> he's going through the Commit Foundation right now. But you do some uncomfortable things with that book. So like you, car- you carry it around with you for like weeks, literally everywhere you go and you write down, hey, you know, I went to this meeting with such and such and I got some energy out of it. I went to this meeting and I, it sucked. I did this and I got energy did this event and I was down in the dumps, whatever. Over three weeks, you come back, you look at that and you're like, okay, this is where I got energy. It wasn't in speaking with the people that were in the commercial real estate. It wasn't in speaking with people who were doing private equity, nothing against those jobs. That just wasn't stuff that spoke to me. It didn't give me energy, but what I did get energy was speaking with the people in the nonprofit space. So I started to realize, hey, you know what? I want to I want to work in the nonprofit space. I want to give back in some form or fashion. And then another drill that you do in the in the designing your life is you do a mind map. You literally draw like a circle in the in the center of the page and you write some word that jumps out at you. And then from that one circle you expand another series or another layer and you draw like five or six circles around that and inside each one of those circles you write another six or seven words that are important to you and then gradually expand and expand and then the outer very most outer layer of that whole thing you can take a look and see what is truly important to you and i saw in there like service i saw in service members and veterans and i saw mindfulness and meditation because at the time i i'd become a teacher and i'd become pretty passionate about it and i was uh a practitioner, obviously. Um, and then, you know, all these different words that jumped out at me. I was like, you know what? I want to go into the nonprofit space. I'm going to found one specifically teaching mindfulness and meditation to veterans and service members. And, uh, and then I traveled out to Colorado Springs, incidentally, to do a Pursue Your Purpose workshop for the Commit Foundation. And I got introduced to the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center here. And they knew about Veterans Path. So Veterans Path, I did not found it. It already existed, but they knew about it. They found out what I wanted to do. And they're like, hey, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. We're just going to introduce you to Veterans Path. And they did. I became their uh, deputy executive director through the SkillBridge program mm-hmm. that you mentioned before. Um, and and basically, it all kind of fell into place. But it all started with that that one cup of coffee with Matt Stevens and him saying, hey, you need to come up with a plan and execute it. And sure, that plan morphed over time, but you have a plan to at least veer from. So I had a plan and then started talking with a whole lot of other people and and uh, asked for, hey, who else should I, at the end of each one of those co- cups of coffee, I was like, who else should I talk to? Who else should I talk to? And then ended up talking with enough people to where things just fell into place. Uh, so, um, the transition work was there. I sure I, I I don't want to beat my my own drum here, but yeah, I, I did a lot of the work. But once you do the work, those those parts fall into place. It's pretty amazing to see one how that happens, but two also how willing people are to help you. Like they want to help you as a transitioning service member, either as veterans themselves or as people in the corporate space that want to to educate you on their particular industry. Like I had great commercial real estate folks talking to me about, hey, this is 
this is something that you want to pursue. These are the credentials that you want to pursue, et cetera. Then I, then I realized that's not what I necessarily want to do. Then I had project managers who were like, Hey, okay, this is what you want to look at. Uh, so people want to help. So like you mentioned before, Trevor, be willing to ask. And then when people do offer that help, take them up on it. Yeah. One, one thing you talked about, and this is something that me through a couple of years of like coaching and things like that, I hear a lot is you get a lot of people that want to start nonprofits and, yeah. and you, you said that like, Hey, I, I did the groundwork and I started my own nonprofit. And, and so what's, you know, a lot of people will say why, why, you know, when they go talk to somebody who helps start nonprofits, they say, why do you want to do a nonprofit? Right. And everybody's like, well, you know, I want to help and I want to do this. And then they always, it's, it's funny, like people that start nonprofits, they say, why does everybody ask me why I want to start a nonprofit? And so did you, did you have that same uh, response when you started talking about what you wanted to do? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had a lot of people say, before you even start, don't tell me that you want to start a nonprofit. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, that really kind of puts a, puts a damper on the conversation, but yeah. Um, I did have a lot of people ask me that question um, because it is a tough space to work on, work in, in that you don't make a lot of money. Uh, I mean, I'll be completely transparent about that. It's, it's, but it's good work. If you can, if you can do it, uh, do it right. The nonprofits also have a, uh, a really tough time of surviving. I, I forget the percentage, but some ridiculously high percentage of nonprofits fail within the first five years. Like restaurants. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and then the, the, the other, other pieces, there's so many nonprofits out there and we're all fighting for donations and grants. And it, it gets, um, it gets pretty tiring when you're competing for that same dollar against another nonprofit that is doing phenomenal work. And let's say you get that grant and they don't, well, Hey, yeah, that's great got that grant and you can celebrate that at the same time you see another nonprofit just down, across the hallway or down the street and you're like they didn't get that same grant so it's a little disheartening in that respect um and then uh <laughs> there's there's on the on the other side you know the person that takes advantage of the nonprofits who, who uses like myself as a veteran right I'm, I'm looking for help so i look for the commit foundation i look for the on foundation there's all these great foundations but it gets overwhelming at some point. You're like, holy cow, there's so many nonprofits. Which ones are the good ones? Which ones are the bad ones? And there's so many. It's really hard for a nonprofit to stand out. I mean, the ones that we've mentioned thus, thus far, they're phenomenal and they do stand out. But it's it's hard as a startup nonprofit, yeah. specifically in the veteran service organization, the VSO side. There's a lot there, of those. There's like, there's like 80,000 veteran nonprofits. And to, to, to sort through that, it, it can be exhausting. So you can almost get to a point where as a veteran, it's kind of like when you sit on the couch and you click through all the channels and you're like, what do I want to watch? And back in the day, you know, when you had 13 channels, you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to flip to something and I'm going to watch it. Right. And now you have 13,000 channels and all you do is like scroll through the guide and you're like, I don't even know what I want to watch, but I'm going to spend an hour scrolling through. Well, that's kind of like it is with all the nonprofits that are out there. You're like, I don't even know which one I'm going to take advantage of. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, you kind of get analysis paralysis, uh, yeah. but 
And I, you know, I appreciate the heart of people that, that want to do nonprofits. And I think sure. like one of the big ones is, and I even, you know, I sit on the board of a, of a nonprofit, the humble warrior foundation. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think it's great if people, you know, have something that they want to do. I, I know like a lot of people will say, well, you know, I work in a nonprofit space, you know, trust me, go start a for-profit company with a nonprofit mission. And, you know, I bring that up just because I hear that so much. And, and like you said, this, the same thing, why nonprofit, right? So yeah. I, I just, I think that's a big thing for somebody who's getting out and they want to look at that and say, oh yeah, I'm just going to go start a nonprofit. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's a lot more work to it. Nobody's just going to say, oh, that's a nonprofit. I want to give them money, right? It's a, it's a business. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it is a business, whether you know it or not. Like running a nonprofit is a business and you have to yeah. market and advertise and pay people and and do all and, that. And, yeah. And it's humbling. It's a humbling business, man. You have to, you really have to ask for donations. You have to do fundraising. You have to, uh, you know, I don't want to say beg, but sometimes it feels like that. Uh, in that, hey, you you, you work sometimes uh, a large percentage of your time as a as an executive within the nonprofit space is writing grants or in doing fundraising pitches, and that can get exhausting and and pretty humbling pretty quickly. Uh, but going back also um, the the other thing with nonprofits, founding a nonprofit, is do your homework. Like like if I hadn't done my like, luckily I got introduced to Veterans Path. But I was going to start up a nonprofit that did exactly what Veterans Path did, and then I would I would have been reinventing the wheel, and then I would have just been competing against like if you look in the nonprofit space in the veteran nonprofit space, there are tons of organizations that do the same thing, because somebody didn't do their homework and they recreated the wheel, and now not only did they recreate the wheel, now they're competing against that wheel, that that wheel that is already established, and now. That's why this, this organization that is now just starting up because this one was already going, it's, it's kind of doomed to fail. So yeah, if you're and, looking at doing a nonprofit that does X, Y, or Z, look at the nonprofits that are already out there and see if there's al or already an organization that does X, Y, or Z. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And it's, and just to get in our, our potty word quota, because Mike and I know, hey, this is a veteran pro or a podcast, so you have to have bad words in it. But I guess the best <laughs> way is like, hey, be prepared to eat shit. <laughs> Even if your heart's yeah. in the right place, it, it's it's going to happen. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you have this idea in your head of like, oh, it's going to be great. And then you see that it's not, and it can be disheartening, but I think that's for sure. That's tough. So, yeah. well, what, um, any, anything specific advice wise that you have about uh, the transition process based off of your experience? Yeah. Uh, one that we already covered is, is you got to do the work. So you're going to reap what you sow. And then, and then two, I think be humble and, and realize that you don't know everything. You have not gone through the transition space before this is new for you. So, Learn from your own mistakes, but don't beat yourself up if you fail or if you have this plan and this plan changes, learn from that. Don't beat yourself up because as you beat yourself up, then you're just going to think more negatively and you're going to start having this anxiety and stress about the transition. There's already enough anxiety and stress in the transition. So don't add to it by beating yourself up. Learn from the mistakes and move on. And uh, I think that's the, the two biggest pieces of advice is, is work be humble 
and, and be humble enough to learn from your mistakes. So it's almost like being the new guy on the teams again, you know, you know you're <laughs> on platoon. So yeah, you're starting over, yeah, man. Yeah, and reinventing yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what it feels like for me is I'm, I'm brand new because I'm, I'm the rookie in all this because yeah. I'm the going on 30 year guy about to get some humble. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it, it can be fun, right? It's a, it's an opportunity. Like how, how often in the, in the military, did you truly get to decide what it was you wanted to do, where it was you wanted to live, like truly define what your next chapter was going to look like? Sure. You said, Hey, here's my dream sheet. Uh, you know, I, I, my dream sheet is I want to work for team X, Y, or Z, you know, in that order. And I want to live in these locations and then the needs of the Navy or the needs of the military were like, okay, that's, that's all well and good, but you're going over here. This is where we need you. Well, this is your time to define who you are and what you want to be on the outside. So take that time, take that time to figure out who it is you are and who it is you want to be on the outside. That's uh that's another piece. So it, yeah, it is a new guy kind of feel, but it's a, but it is, it's a new guy kind of feel because that is, you are a new guy. You're a new person uh, in a, in a, in a sense. And you get to kind of mold that into what it is you want to be afterwards. So, yeah. Well, luckily in the civilian world, they're normally uh, nicer to the new guys. So <laughs> but what's a, you got a funny story for us from your service time in the service. <laughs> Oh man, I'm trying to think of any of it that would be appropriate to share. Yeah, that uh, was we we asked that of uh, yeah. Matt Quick when we did talk to him, and, yeah. and that's what we were thinking of. Like, what's the statute of limitations on this? Yeah. Stuff? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I've got some good ones, but I, I think I'm going to save them for over a beer sometime because I don't okay. think uh, I necessarily want to put it out there <laughs> on well, social media. <laughs> Hopefully I'm going to make my way out to Colorado next year. So yeah, come on, man. We'd love to have you about this time when the ski slopes are uh, good to go. Yeah. Yeah. We just went out to Breckenridge uh, last weekend. It was a good time. Good time. I was at snowshoe last weekend and that was only my third time ever skiing and it showed. Yeah. So, (laughs) Oh dude, I've, I've skied a bunch, uh, but I still, it's, it still looks as though I'm beginning, man. I go down the, I go down for the first few runs straight up pizza boxing. Yep. Uh, going down the hill so yeah and I've, I've been skiing i don't know 17 years or something oh, man you're making me feel oh no no you got like some I'm... runs out there that'll make anybody look like a beginner though i'm sure <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i made a big mistake of going down a, a couple blocks that i was like uh yeah i'm, I'm regretting this now but it was fun man. fun nonetheless well we know if somebody comes across you on a dat- dating website that that's not real Right. Um, yeah, that's if you a don't, funny story. If you I mean, don't, not a, it's not yeah, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and tell that one. Yeah. So, I mean, you kicked off the show with a little bit of that, and uh, people may, may have been wondering what that was all about. But yeah, so I won't share any funny stories from my time in the teams because they're definitely not appropriate for, for, <laughs> for social media. But, uh, but just a funny uh, story since I did transition and, I, and I've tried to make myself. Uh, somewhat prolific in the transition space because I want to share the lessons that I learned so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I put a lot of stuff out there on social media, on, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, primarily on LinkedIn. And, and I've had, uh, I guess the, I've become the victim of, of 
identity theft, I guess, for lack of a better term, where people have ripped my pictures off all the different social media platforms and then created their own accounts. And some of them even going by my name or a version thereof, like misspelling the last name or changing the first name a little bit because I spell my, my first name, J-O-N, but I, I found a John, J-O-H-N McCaskill using the exact same pictures that I had. And, and that was on all three platforms on LinkedIn, on Facebook and on Instagram. And uh, yeah, at, at first, at first I was a little, in a weird way, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, somebody wants to be me. But then I was like, okay, that's freaking weird. <laughs> then it started getting a little creepy. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I posted to, so I, I went on the dude's account and I ripped the pictures off and he had a fake name and everything. And I shared it on social media. I was like, hey, if, if anyone sees this person, it's not me. And I reported them. Um, and it happened, it happened multiple occasions. Uh, so now I've actually got a habit, like once, uh, once a week or so I scour the different platforms to see if there's somebody using my pictures, but it's not just me, right? It's, it, this is something where people are trying to take advantage of other people. This one, uh, this one platform, this guy was using my pictures and then was, uh, going on like the dating websites, right. And saying that he was a service member stuck overseas and that the U.S. military didn't have enough money to bring him home to see his family. <laughs> Could you please send thousands of dollars? And and luckily, the the women didn't fall for it. And then they would, I don't know how they realized that it was like pictures of me, but they found it. They found me and they sent sent me a link and were like, "Hey, this dude's using your pictures and is making a bogus story." Um, so you know, I'd report their accounts. But yeah, I guess the lesson learned there is. Be very careful of what you post on social media. Like I, I stopped posting any pictures of my family, uh, my daughter, my my son. Uh, no no kid pictures anywhere, um, or at least I try to I try to limit those. Uh, I may have posted them a long time ago on social media and I couldn't find them. But just man, there are some weirdos out there. So that's totally side story, but it, it's kind of a funny and also creepy story at the same time. So just there's weirdos out there. Lesson yeah. learned. Well, where can people find you? The real, oh, yeah. the full real. Dis- <laughs> full full disclosure: my stage name is Jan McCaskill. Just, just, uh, just right here. <laughs> I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> no, uh, the the real me is uh, John John McCaskill, spelled J O N. Last name is McCaskill, M A C A S K I L L. And uh, again, I, I'm primarily on, on LinkedIn, but I am also on Facebook. On Facebook, uh, my public profile is, is a John M, so J-O-N-M dot McCaskill. And then, uh, and then on LinkedIn, or sorry, on Instagram, I'm uh, Mindful Frogman. So that's how people can find me on those different platforms. Nice. I like it. Well, you guys can also uh, you know, connect with Mike and I, and if you're interested in any of the things that John's got going on right now, we can definitely put you in touch with him. And I can personally vouch um, for the mindfulness program. I, I think it's really good. I'm still you know, working on it and, and trying to, to get it down pat, but um, you know, I, I still go back and look at this stuff, even though I've went through the course um, and it's, good, good. I think it's, I think it's definitely helpful. And hopefully one of these days I'll, you know, I'll be able to kind of master it along with the other, you know, 
teaching school and and doing other stuff right now too so john really really appreciate you having you come on here um thank you guys definitely worthwhile and a lot of good questions and a lot of good information yeah they were good questions man you guys are great hosts i really appreciate uh, being on here with you and and hopefully your your listeners and viewers can glean you know, one or two small nuggets from, from, from my experience. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it carries forward for them. So thanks guys. Yep. Thank you. Great talking with you, John. Yeah, you too, Mike. Thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at get to vet.net. That's get the number two, vet.net and let us help you get to vet.